Hi everyone, I just wanted to let you know that I did post a bonus episode the other day, and it does contain music that is appropriate for Holy Week. The second half of Paul Hindemith's Das Marienleden cycle, sung by Jenny Turell, and the original poems by Rainer Maria Rilke, recited by the great Lotte Lehmann. So if you're interested in hearing that, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, and you too can become a supporter of the podcast for as little as $2 a month or $25 a year. It allows me to keep bringing the podcast to you every single week, and I so appreciate it. I'd also like to dedicate this week's episode to my friend Chick Walker, a wonderful tenor with whom I sang in the drag opera company La Granchena. Chick died earlier this week after a long illness. His loss will be felt by many in whose lives he was such a positive presence. Rest in peace, Chick. And as Shakespeare said, (laughs) may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. This week's episode. that there was no better way to introduce my Holy Week episode than with the Incipit from the Lamentations of Jeremiah, from the première Leçon de Ténèbres of François Couperin, sung by my favorite voiceless wonder Hugues Crénaud, whom we also heard last week. The Leçon de Ténèbres are readings for Monday Thursday and Good Friday. The texts come from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Couperin set the three readings for Maundy Thursday. The entire series begins with the Incipit that we just heard. Here beginneth the Lamentations of the prophet Jeremiah. 
There follow five discrete sections, each preceded by an elaborate melismatic musical setting of the initial letter of each of those sections. In the same way that in medieval manuscripts we have those elaborately illustrated so-called historiated initials, the letters that offset the beginning of every section in a manuscript. In the first set of Le Son de Ténèbres, which is set for a single voice with simple, continual accompaniment. I'm going to play the third one for you, Gimel. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. This recording is from Today I have decided to focus on music appropriate for Holy Week. We'll be hearing Baroque music, we'll be hearing music from the 19th century, and we'll be hearing music composed over the course of nearly the entire 20th century. I'd like to begin with a setting by Hugo Wolf of an Eduard Mürke poem, Karwoche, Holy Week. Here is the text of the poem in a translation by Richard Stokes. 
O weak witness of sacred sorrow, your gravity does not become this springtime rapture. In the fresh sunlight you spread the cross's shadow on the bright earth, and silently you lower your veils. Spring, meanwhile, continues to bloom. Violets smell sweet beneath blossoming trees, and all the birds sing songs of praise. Oh, hush, you birds on the green meadows. Muffled bells are tolling all around. Angels are singing their soft dirges. You violets, adorn no maiden's hair today. My pious child has picked you for the dark bouquet. You shall go with her to the church of the Virgin. There you shall wither on the altar of our Lord. And there, drunk with morning melodies and dazed by sweet and heavy incense, she seeks the bridegroom in the tomb and love and spring all lost forever. We hear the Cornish baritone Benjamin Luxon accompanied by David Willison in this 1972 recording. <laughs>
as I was trying to decide how to structure this week's episode, I saw that my beloved friend, the choral conductor and singer Christina Berger, had posted a wonderful essay about the meaning of Holy Week in her own life as a non-believer and the way in which the story of the Passion reflects human behaviors that are still in play today. I thought it was so beautiful, so I asked her if she would be kind enough to read it aloud and record it so that I could present it to you, my listeners, today and use it as the structure for this Holy Week episode. And she not only writes beautifully, but she reads beautifully. So here is Christina in the first portion of that recording that she made for me just a couple days ago. I think you all know that I'm not religious. But each year at around this time, my vocation as a singer affords me special contemplation of the legend of Christ's betrayal, arrest, and capital murder. I find that the legend much like the dramas of classical antiquity, holds up a bracingly clear mirror to human behaviors today, thus providing, alas, a refutation of the naive belief in the ethical progress of the species. In times of persecution, wherever a leader steadfastly speaks up for what is true and right, other people in the drama will fall into the following roles, sealing the truth-teller's fate as the scapegoat for systemic disease. 1. As trouble approaches, the scapegoat's companions, having formerly relied on the scapegoat, will skitter away on being entreated to stay and lend support. 2. Someone once a close companion of the scapegoat will sell the scapegoat away with a betraying kiss. 3. On being questioned, former companions will deny their relationships to the scapegoat. 4. An official with power to exonerate the scapegoat and knowing of the scapegoat's innocence will instead bow to the crowd screaming for the scapegoat's head. 5. Outsiders with no understanding of the details of the conflict will join the screaming, spitting crowd. 6. Anyone able to see the scapegoat's innocence through the fog of dysfunction will already have recognized having nothing worthwhile left to lose in publicly defending the scapegoat, as in the convicts to either side of Christ already dying on the gallows. There is another option available in the story, remaining true to the scapegoat, but from a position of such powerlessness that this loyalty does not even register on the plot radar before the scapegoat's fate has been sealed. I refer, of course, to the women in the story. In our real lives, all of these roles will be played every time. You can count on it. There are other choices, too, ethical ones, that individuals can make. But the making of those choices is not so much to be counted on. If you're going to place bets, stick with the options in the story, and then be happy if you lose your money to the surprise of an honorable outcome. To sing the words and the music that this legend has inspired is to deeply integrate its lessons into the body. I can sing its incantations to myself in Latin and in German, most indelibly in the musical languages of Arvo Pert and Johann Sebastian Bach. 
This morning, I cantered in English from the Psalms that Christians appropriate as prophesying Christ's arrest and murder. These verses so poetically express the emotional mutilation of betrayal and isolation. When I sing for these rituals in houses of worship, I am conscious of being surrounded by people who believe in the legend yet to follow, the legend that comes next Sunday. I feel jealous of the comfort that this faith must bring them. I'm going to illustrate each of Christina's various points with at least one musical example. For the first, the abandonment of the so-called truth-teller by his disciples, and, I might add, the resulting existential aloneness felt by that truth-teller. I have two examples from opposite ends of the musical spectrum, as it were. The first comes from Beethoven's only oratorio, Christus am Ölberge, Christ on the Mount of Olives. This is a portion of Jesus' aria, Meine Seele ist erschüttert. My soul is shaken by the torment which threatens me. It concludes with Jesus begging his father to remove this cup of sorrow. The Welsh tenor Richard Lewis sings here in this 1966 recording with Eugene Ormandy leading the Philadelphia Orchestra. Deine Macht ist alles möglich,
Today we're going to be hearing recordings of various and varied settings of these biblical passion narratives, many of them involving the narration of the passion story by a so-called evangelist. In Bach's passions, of course, this role is taken by the solo tenor, as it was by Bach's compositional predecessor, Heinrich Schütz, for example. In two of the 20th century passion narratives that we are going to hear, by Franck Martin and by Arvo Perret, the voice of the evangelist is a collective one, sung by more than one soloist, often in intertwined harmonies. In all of these passion narratives, when Jesus speaks, his voice is intoned usually by a baritone or bass. In the case of this next example, from Krzysztof Penderecki's St. Luke Passion, the role of the evangelist is given to a speaker. Penderecki's St. Luke Passion appeared in the mid-1960s and helped solidify the Polish composer's international reputation. We're going to hear an example from the first recording of this piece made in 1967. In so many of these passion settings, sections of pure narrative are offset by contemplative religious texts. This is certainly the structure for passions by both Bach and Handel, and it is also the structure used by Penderecki. In the section that we're going to hear, this happens most movingly with the evangelist's narrative delivered by the narrator, interspersed with Jesus's lines sung by the Polish baritone Andrzej Hjolski. This is followed then by verses from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In which the words Deus meus are intoned over and over by Hjolski the baritone, impersonating Christ in his agonized prayer. More or less, by the way, the same words that we just heard Richard Lewis singing in Beethoven's oratorio. In this recording, as I said, we hear Andrzej Hjolski as Jesus and Rudolf Jürgen Bauch as the evangelist. The Kölner Rundfunk Sinfonie Orchester and Chor are led by the Polish conductor Henryk Cis. Positis genibus orabat licens.
Illi Angelus de Celo, Confortans Deum. Et factus in agonia prolixius orabat, et factus est sudor eius, sicut gute sanguinis decurrentis in terra.
referring back to Christina's list of paradigmatic behaviors, we now turn to the betrayer in the case of the passion narrative, Judas. So often Judas is reviled, and yet, if one looks at it in a certain way, Christ's mission on earth could never have been accomplished without Judas giving him up. Just a little something for y'all to think about. To depict the Judas scene, I'm using a short excerpt from the Gethsemane section of Franck Martin's massive oratorio Golgotha. Last week on the Swiss Misses and Misters episode, we heard an excerpt from another massive oratorio of Martin's called Interrapax. Golgotha followed and was composed out of a sense of personal necessity by Franck Martin in the years 1945 through 1948, and it was premiered in Geneva in the year 1949. This is the portion of the Gethsemane movement in which Judas appears and kisses Jesus on the cheek. In this segment, the story is portrayed by a number of different configurations of singers. First, the tenor and alto soloists in this recording, the tenor Eric Tapie, whom we heard last week, and the mezzo-soprano Marie-Lise de Montmolin, almost assuming the voices of two of the disciples about the arrival of Judas. When Jesus speaks to Judas and to the arresting throng, he is portrayed again by the baritone, in this case the magnificent Pierre Mollet, whom we also heard last week. And when Judas is invoked in the narration, the role of the evangelist is taken by the bass baritone Philippe Hüttenlocher. This section is followed by a concerted section set to a text of the fifth meditation of St. Augustine. In this section, the soprano Vali Stempfli joins the aforementioned soloists. The conductor in this 1968 recording is Robert Fallet. Et vous ne m'avez pas arrêté. 
Christina's next point concerns the denial by the disciples of the scapegoat, most prominently in the Passion story, Peter. No one tells this story with more heartbreak and compassion and drama than does Johann Sebastian Bach. We shall hear a brief excerpt from the Johannes Passion, the St. John Passion, in a recording from 1967, in which Ernst Heffliger, another Swiss singer that we heard last week, sings the part of the evangelist. The role of the servant is sung by the British tenor Alexander Young, 
The role of Peter is sung by the German bass Franz Krass, and Eugen Jochum leads the Konzertgebouw Orchestra and the Nederlands Radio Corps. <laughs> Christina's next point has to do with the figure of Pontius Pilate. We hear an excerpt from the Matthäus Passion, the Passion according to St. Matthew, set by Heinrich Schütz. You will note that Schütz's setting is much more stark and barren than is Bach's, for in the performance practice of the time, during Holy Week, no instrumental accompaniment was allowed, and therefore the voices alone intone the story of the Passion here. And those voices are Peter Pierce as the narrator, John Shirley Quirk as Pilate, Benjamin Luxon as Jesus, and Mariel Dickinson as the maid. Roger Norrington leads the Heinrich Schütz Choir in this 1972 performance. This section is one of the most disturbing portions of the Passion narrative, in that the narrative is skewed in such a way as to implicate the Jews so directly in the killing of Christ, almost as if to justify millennia of subsequent oppression, murder, segregation, and overall anti-Semitism. This is merely to point out the situation I don't believe that music like this should be cancelled, it should be heard, it should be heard in context, and it should be discussed. That's my stance on the matter. Yeah. 
Jesus aber stund für dem Landpfleger, und der Landpfleger fragte ihn und sprach, Bist du der Judenkönig? Jesus aber sprach zu ihm, Du sagest es. Und da er verklagen hat, kam den hohen Priestern und Ältesten, antwortet er nichts. Da sprach Pilatus zu ihm, Hörst du nicht, wie hart sie dich verklagen? Und er antwortete ihm nicht auf ein Wort. Also, dass ich auch der Anfänger sehr verwunderte. Auf das Fest aber hatte der Landpfleger Gewohnheit, dem Volk einen Gefangenen loszugeben, welchen sie wollten. Er hatte aber zu der Zeit einen Gefangenen, einen Sonderlichen für anderen, der hieß Barabbas. Und da sie versammelt waren, sprach Pilatus zu ihnen, Welchen wollet ihr, dass ich euch losgebe? Parabam oder Jesu, von dem gesagt wird, Wusste wohl, dass sie ihn aus Neid überantwortet hatten. Und da er auf dem Richtstuhl saß, schickte sein Weib zu ihm und ließ ihm sagen: Habe du nicht zu schaffen mit diesem Gerechten? Ich habe heute viel erlebt an ihm. Von Aber die hohen Priester und Ältesten überredeten das Volk, dass sie um Barabbas bitten sollten und Jesus umbrächten. Da antwortet nun der Landpfleger, und sprach zu ihnen, Welchen wollet ihr unter diesen zwei, denn ich euch soll losgeben? Sie sprachen, Zu ihnen. Was soll ich denn machen mit Jesu, von dem gesagt wird, er sei Christus? Sie sprachen alle. Lass ihn, lass ihn, lass ihn, lass ihn, lass ihn, lass ihn. 
Sondern das viel ein größer Getümmel ward, nahm er Wasser und wusch die Hände für dem Volk und sprach: Ich bin unschuldig an dem Blut dieses Gerechten. Seht ihr zu. Antwortete das ganze Volk und sprach: Sein, sein, kommen wir, kommen wir, kommen wir, kommen wir, Now let us turn to various contemplative texts on the corporal punishment and torture of Jesus following his encounter with Pilate. The first is from the so-called Brockes Passion, an early composition by George Friedrich Handel that in recent years has seen a great resurgence in performances and recordings. We're going to hear today two excerpts from the pioneering 1967 recording of this work, led by the Swiss cellist, conductor, scholar, and teacher August Wenzinger. Brockes was Bartolt Heinrich Brockes, the poet who published in 1712 the text to this Passion Oratorio, which formed the basis of settings by various early Baroque composers and eventually also to Bach's two extant versions of the Passion, which were revisions by an anonymous poet of the original Brockes text. The text to this recit and aria that we're going to hear refer to the wounds that Jesus has received. See, from Jesus's wounds there flows a balsam whose wondrous force brings new life to us while bringing to Jesus bitter death. As the soprano soloist we hear in the role of the Gläubige Seele, the believing soul, the marvelous Edda Moser. Vergnügen, mit bitterer Lust und mit beklemmtem Herzen, dein höchstes Gut in Jesu Schmerzen, die 
Now we shall hear a musical setting from Hugo Wolf's collection called the Spanisches Liederbuch. Wolf took these texts from an 1852 publication also called Spanisches Liederbuch, which takes texts by both Spanish and Portuguese poets, as well as folk lyrics, and offers them in German translation by either Paul Heise or, in this case, Emmanuel Geibel. This song is called Wunden trägst du, mein Geliebter. You are wounded, my lord, who dared to stain your brow with blood and sweat. And the lord responds, These wounds are the price that I pay to redeem you, O soul. From these wounds I must die for my great love of you. The beloved mezzo-soprano Jan Degetani performs with pianist Gilbert Kalish in this 1974 recording.
a recurring theme in so many of these passion texts is identification with the suffering Christ. And of course, the resultant guilt that all devout Christians are supposed to feel as they observe the wounded suffering Christ. In the Borges Passion setting, there is a central character of the daughter of Zion who sings aria upon aria, responding to what is transpiring as the passion story unfolds. Here is her response to the wounded Christ. This recitative and aria, die zarten Schläfen sind von spitzen Dornen, and the aria, Jesu, dich mit unseren Seelen zu vermählen. Once again, Jesus's wounds find a natural counterpart in the stars of the firmament. The soprano here is the inimitable Maria Stader, whom we heard last week as well. Thank you. 
I shall illustrate Christina's next two points concerning the violent, ignorant crowd and the two thieves, one on either side of Jesus, in this next excerpt from a different passion setting by Heinrich Schütz, the Passion According to St. Luke, the Lucas Passion. This is a similarly stark setting to the Matthäus Passion of Schütz that we heard a few minutes ago. Here, however, the singers are the East German tenor and bass Peter Schreier and Theo Adam as the evangelist and Jesus, and the tenors Rolf Aprecht and Hans Joachim Rotsch as the two thieves. Rudolf Mauersberger leads the Dresdner Kreuzchor in this 1965 recording. And by the way, I just want to observe that before Peter Schreier began his enormous professional singing career as a tenor, he was first engaged as one of the altos in the Dresdner Kreuzchor. Es verspotteten ihn auch die Kriegesknechte, traten herzu und brachten ihm Essig und sprachen.
Christina's next observation has to do with the role that women play in this continually unfolding reenactment, if you will, of the passion story, that of compassionate yet helpless observers. I want to spend a certain amount of time here, and I'm going to begin with a setting by Franz Schubert of a text by Friedrich Schlegel von Mitleiden Marie on the sufferings of Mary. It's a strophic song, and I'm going to play the third verse for you today. This is a 1977 recording by the sublime Gundula Janowitz, accompanied by the American pianist Erwin Gage. On her son's head, many sharp thorns pierced through eyes, ears, and brow. And as the thorns broke through her son's head, so did they break his mother's heart. Now I have excerpts from four varied settings of the Stabat Mater, the poem which is a 13th century hymn depicting Mary suffering at the foot of the cross, is of unknown authorship. Many have credited either Jacopone da Todi, a Franciscan friar, or Pope Innocent III. But more recently, it has been suggested that it could have been written by a group of Dominican nuns in Bologna. Surely the most famous setting of the Stabat Mater is by Giovanni Battista Pergolesi, an enormously gifted composer who died at the age of only 26. He lived from 1710 to 1736, and the Stabat Mater was completed in the year of his death. The Stabat Mater poem is in 20 short verses of three lines each. Pergolesi's Stabat Mater setting is in 12 discrete movements. It is set for soprano and alto soloists, 
and we are going to hear two examples from that today. Here's the first one. This recording is from 1964 and features Judith Raskin, soprano, who is going to be featured in a very special episode coming up in just a few short weeks. Her companion here singing alto. Her companion in song here is the British mezzo-soprano Maureen Lahan, who was one of the superb British Handel singers in the 60s and 70s, less celebrated than some of her contemporaries, but nonetheless a singer of enormous refinement and taste. The conductor Franco Caracciolo leads the Orchestra Rossini di Napoli. Now we're going to hear excerpts from three 20th century settings of the Stabat Mater. The first is by the Polish composer Karol Szymanowski, whose setting, composed in 1925 and 26, is for soprano, alto, and baritone soloists, chorus, and orchestra. Szymanowski's setting is unusual in that it uses a Polish translation of the text by the poet Józef Janowski, the work was commissioned from Szymanowski by the American-born heiress Winaretta Singer, who's more commonly known as the Princesse Edmond de Polignac, an important patron of the arts who commissioned work by dozens and dozens of composers, including Defaya, Satie, Stravinsky, Millot, Courtweil, Poulenc, and many others. The third movement of Szymanowski's Stabat Mater is a setting of verses 9 through 12 of the poem. Come, mother, fountain of love, make me feel the power of sorrow that I might mourn with you. Grant that my heart might burn in loving Christ the God. 
that I might please him. O Holy Mother, fix the wounds of the cross mightily in my heart. Of your wounded son, who so deigned to suffer for me, share his torments with me. We're going to hear in this 1994 recording the superb African-American mezzo-soprano Florence Quivar, whom I featured on an episode more than two years ago now already. Plus that, since the movement also includes a soprano solo, we hear the Polish soprano Elżbieta Schmitka and Simon Rattle leads the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra and Chorus.
1950, Francis Poulenc also composed a musical setting of the Stabat Mater. The work was written in response to the death of his friend, the artist Christian Berard, who, with the Russian dancer Boris Kochno, was one of the most out gay couples in France in the 1930s and 40s. Berard died on the 11th of February, 1949, of a heart attack. Poulenc was bereft at the death of his friend and began to turn more and more to religion and this setting of the Stabat Mater for soprano, chorus, and orchestra was one of his first outwardly religious compositions. His piece is also like Pergolesi's in 12 movements, and we are going to hear the sixth movement, Vidit Suum. She saw her sweet son dying forsaken as his spirit left his body. I'm thrilled to present to you today the French soprano Régine Crespin, one of my very favorite singers, and this is one of her most exquisite recordings. It's from 1964, and the French conductor Georges Prêtre leads the orchestra of the Société des Concerts, du Conservatoire, and the Chœur René Duclos.
now I have a little bit more Franck Martin for you. Earlier we heard his Golgotha. Now I'm going to play for you the third of his Maria Triptikon settings. Last week we heard Edith Matis in a live performance of the Ave Maria. And today we are going to hear a performance of of Martin's setting of the Stabat Mater, the third movement of this triptych with the original dedicatees, Irmgard Seyfried, that most soulful of singers, with her husband Wolfgang Schneiderhan playing the obligato violin part, performing live in Geneva in 1970. Franck Martin himself leads the Orchestre de la Suisse Romande. The piece is about seven or eight minutes long. I'm playing you the majority of it, but there is a quiet stopping point about two-thirds of the way through, and that's as far as we're going to go.
Christina commented on how much she loved singing the passion music of Arvo Pert. I know that she performed in the Canadian premiere of this piece as one of the four evangelists. As we discussed earlier, each composer who chooses to set the text of the Passion has to decide how they are going to cope with the role of the narrator, the evangelist. In the case of Arvo Pert, he takes four voices and blends them in close harmony in the most poignant yet extremely simple manner. For me, this almost evokes the emotionless writing that Satie attempted in his setting of Socrate. Every little gesture counts for so much in music of this sort. We're going to hear the portion of Pert's Passio, his setting of the St. John Passion, as Jesus utters his last words, assigning John, the disciple he loved, to the care of his mother Mary, and vice versa, and finally intoning it is finished as he gives up his spirit. Singing the part of Jesus in this recording is the Finnish baritone Jorma Hyninen.
The image of the Pietà is such a profoundly moving one, the broken body of Jesus lying across the lap of his mother. As a sample of the bonus episode that I mentioned that I just published, I'm going to offer you Lotte Lehmann's reading of the Rainer Maria Rilke poem Pietà, followed by the setting by Paul Hindemith as performed by Jenny Turell and Erich Ito Khan, Pieta. Now my misery is made complete, and it fills me ineffably. I am rigid, like the inside of a stone is rigid. Hard as I am, I know only one thing, and became great in order to exceed, as a pain that is all too great, my heart's powers of comprehension. Now you lie crosswise over my lap, now I can no longer give birth to you. Jetzt wird mein Elend voll und namenlos erfüllt es mich. Ich starre wie des Steins inneres starb. Hart wie ich bin, weiß ich nur eins. Du wurdest groß und wurdest groß um als zu großer Schmerz ganz über meines Herzens Fassung hinauszustehen. Jetzt liegst du quer durch meinen Schoß. Jetzt kann ich dich nicht mehr gebären. Jetzt wird mein Oh, 
wanted to give a voice to some of the other composers of music related to the Passion. But I think now it's time to turn to the Master. Here is a recording in English translation of the aria Zerfließe mein Herze, or Dissolve, O My Spirit, from Bach's St. John Passion. We are going to hear a recording that was led by Robert Shaw. This was the first complete recording of the St. John Passion done in the year 1950, and Robert Shaw did it right. He used the most gifted instrumental soloists, in this case, the flautist Julius Baker, the oboist Robert Bloom, the cellist Bernard Greenhouse, and as his soprano, the ineffably beautiful African-American soprano Adele Addison. This must be one of her very, very earliest recordings.
have a second movement from the Pergolesis Tabat Mater to offer you now. This is Fac Ut Ardeat Cormeum, and we're going to hear the unbeatable duo of Scottish soprano Margaret Marshall and British mezzo Alfreda Hodgson in this 1978 recording with Günther Kea leading the Mainzer Kammerorchester. The text translates thus, Grant that my heart may burn in loving Christ the God, that I might please him. Now, this is, of course, a very Christian-centric text. My point in this episode, and Christina's point as well, is that one can take lessons from this story, even if one is not a practicing Christian. And two that I take away particularly, separate from all of the points that Christina made, is that compassion is something that transforms us as human beings, and that passion motivates us to action. And I think that is what is being conjured here in this beautiful performance. heard the John Passion, now we must hear that transcendent aria from the Matthew Passion. Mache dich, mein Herz rein, ich will Jesum selbst begraben. Purify yourself, my heart. I want to bury Jesus himself within me, for he now within me forever shall have his sweet rest. This is a recording from 1973, 
with Herbert von Karajan leading the Berliner Philharmonica. I'm not normally a big Karajan fan, and this is an extremely cultivated, one might even say manicured performance, yet it is purified by the exquisite singing of the Viennese bass baritone Walter Berry.
Thank you for joining me today, friends. I hope that I gave you some things to think about. I thank you so much, Christina Berger, for your thoughtful and provocative take on the passion story. And I thank you, my listeners, for your ongoing support. One final observation from Christina, which ends in a beautiful haiku for Holy Week. Earlier today, I was challenged to write a liturgically appropriate haiku for the day. Here it is, an attempt at self-encouragement. Try believing it. Your Judas will hang himself. Your tomb will empty. There's only one way that I can think to end this episode. That is with the most profound and transcendent music for the Passion, the African-American spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord, sung by my beloved singer, Muriel Smith? (laughs) She is my singer. I shall let her have the last word, and I shall simply say to you, my dearest friends, Keep the song in your hearts, and you know who I am. I'm Daniel Gundlach. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you Thank you.